Um, just a little few words about that Advent wreath, really, and the fact that Christ is in the centre. And I don't know where you are with your Christmas preparations. I'm hoping to do a final food shop tomorrow. I've actually got the presents wrapped, which is amazing, because I usually do that nearer to Christmas, but I wanted them out of the way. Um, but where is Jesus in our preparation? It is so easy, isn't it, at this time of year to get caught up uh, with the catering and the food and making sure everything's made and everything's wrapped and that we've got everything and, oh, no, so-and-so sent me a card and I haven't sent them. And it's very easy to miss the meaning of Christmas, even though, as I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, are Christians, um, we know what it's all about but it's good cause sometimes just have a little check, isn't it? And think, is it like in the Advent wreath? Have we got him well in the centre? I know when my kids were little, before we opened the presents, we sang Away in a Manger on Christmas morning. So I wanted to kind of, you know, make sure uh, Jesus was first. Now, both my boys don't um, even believe in God and have totally turned their back on him. But I tried, you know, and, and um, did those principles to help, and I still pray that they will come back. But where we can, in the midst of our family or friends' events, uh, where some of them don't believe and just don't want all this religious stuff, you know, let's just do everything we can, even if it's in our hearts, in the quietness of our spirit, and where we can with our families, to make sure Jesus is in the centre. Uh, Christmas Day is also my father's 99th birthday, so it's always been a double celebration in my family, and I'd have hated a Christmas birthday. Anyone here has got a birthday this week? You have. When's yours? It's on the 20th. So quite near. Yeah, well, hope you had a lovely time. But I'd have hated it. I'm a May baby, which is just perfect. But uh, Dad said, if it's good enough for the Lord, it's good enough for me. So there we are. It's definitely good enough for the Lord. Because, of course, we know he wasn't born on the 25th of December. You know, and Christ Christians have taken over what was once pagan festivals, uh, which people loved to have a midwinter celebration and chosen at this time to remember the birth of Jesus. But I think it's lovely. And obviously we need to think of those who may be on their own, or maybe particularly sad this Christmas. Now, Robin and I have been very busy in the last three weeks going in with um, regeneration to the local schools. And as you're one of the churches that sponsor us and help us, um, I thought I'd give you that little bit of an update. We went into 16 schools, some of them doing two assemblies. We used puppets. Uh, we raised money for puppets during the year, and they've been used. Um, and it was all about the unwise men who weren't prepared and um, the puppets had a bit of a banter. One of them had bought what's-its and there was a, what's it, what's that, what's that? But it was a packet of what's-its that they bought for the baby, not suitable, of course, and then one, the other puppet had eaten it. And so in the end, they ended up bringing nothing. But the whole point was that they were welcome anyway. And um, so whether we can bring our gifts of gold or incense or what it is or nothing, what he wants is our love and our heart. So do keep praying for Regen. We covet your prayers. We need your money. Uh, 
a little bit ago, we were about 7,000 short on the year. I think it's down to 1,000 now. So we have had a massive contribution in the last few weeks. Still a little way to go. We could do with more trustees. We could do with more volunteers. So if people aren't at work and want to go in and take part in these sort of things, um, or prayer spaces, and we also need a treasurer. Um, our treasurer, is. Uh, she moved several years ago to Aylesbury, and she's still been doing it but she said she will back off at Easter. So from Easter, um, we do need a treasurer. So if anyone has those skills and has got a heart for taking God's message into schools, we'd love to hear from you. So thank you for your prayers. If any of you were praying for the roadshows, uh, I think they were truly blessed. So thank you for that. Now Richard's going to come and give you your more uh, uh, local notices. And <laughs> I said earlier we're going to trace the stories of Mary in the Gospels and see what lessons we can learn from God alongside her. We're in Advent, as we've already said, and it's a time of waiting. Pregnancy is a time of waiting. In Advent, like Mary, we are waiting the birth of Jesus. He's growing within her. In a sense, that's true of Christians. We have Jesus growing inside us as we seek to grow in our faith and sanctification, becoming more Christ-like. Of course, in our case, it's through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit, not physically. But the last month of pregnancy is a difficult time. Big, uncomfortable, problems sitting, walking, sleeping, or if you have baby, big babies like I did, severe heartburn when I waited for Simon, and persistent pain in my caesarean scar area when waiting for James. But also excitement. The wait is nearly over. The longed-for child is about to be born. I always think the last month is so awful, so you think, I don't care what I have to go through, I just want it out. You know, I think it actually prepares you for the birth. But there we are. Simon was a 9-12 breach. So, you know, he was a big baby to carry around. But there we are. There's also this excitement. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Will it be okay? How painful will the birth be? Will I cope? Excitement tinged with fear, anxiety and hope. How much more would the mix of emotions be when heightened in a culture where infant and maternal mortality rates are high? Mary, like many other mothers-to-be, both then and now, must end her period of waiting, facing her fear with courage and optimism. I've always ex uh, suspected that Jesus was born a bit early. Um, if she was fully nine months, would she have been able to do that 70-mile journey? You know, we don't really know if she was on a donkey, a cart, or walked. But either way, serious jolting is going on here, you know? And that may have brought on the birth, I don't know. That's just my theory. But she ends up in Bethlehem, where, of course, Joseph had to go for this survey. But that fulfilled the prophecy in Micah that the long-waited-for Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But Mary's accepting words to the angel, let it be to me according to your word, brought with it so much more than she could have anticipated but the acceptance that shapes her waiting and our waiting as we journey through Advent. What would your response have been 
to Gabriel's message if you had been told that you would bear God's son. Mary's response of how can this be in verse 34 of the reading and may it be to me according to what you said don't really embrace the devastating nature of the message. Mary is betrothed to Joseph, a much stronger legal binding than our engagement which are so easily broken. She may have been in her early teens. Pregnancy outside marriage was regarded with horror in first century Jewish society. She could even have been stoned to death. Certainly, she would have become an outcast and her reputation would have been in ruins. Her response is so much stronger than our translations indicate. The Greek word, I don't know how to say it, diatarachti means deeply agitated and dialogizeto can have the meaning argued as well as pondered and wondered. It's in the imperfect tense, which means it's an ongoing action. So Mary didn't just say, okay, that's all right. The pondering and the wondering went on, possibly throughout the pregnancy. I'd like at this moment to just break off slightly and read you a poem. Um, this was written by uh, Helen Brocklehurst, who was the uh, cook at Scargill House, where I've already mentioned that uh, Robin and I go regularly as uh, volunteers. If you do want to come, it's a wonderful place for a Christian holiday. But she called this 36 weeks, and it was her idea of what Mary might have been thinking of in the middle of the night uh, at 36 weeks into her pregnancy. Sometimes I'm sure I know what I saw and I heard what he said, but sometimes at night as I lie on my bed, the doubts overtake. I am restless awake. And I whisper the words of my victory song, but what if I'm wrong? He's growing inside, that can't be denied. I'm aware of his movements, his kicks in my side. My belly's so swollen, I can no longer hide, and he carries on growing, pushing all else aside, innocent pride. I've always lived in this place, and once I was loved, but now in disgrace. As I walk into town, people whisper and frown, say, I've betrayed Joseph, let my family down. Neighbours, old friends turn their faces away, and what can I say? That I am his chosen one, that the baby I carry is God's only son. They've drawn their conclusions, my voice goes unheard. No one will credit a young woman's word. Was there ever a choice? That glorious angel, his powerful voice, how could I refuse? Would I refuse? Had I known then how much I would lose? Don't fear, he said, the Lord is with you. And I thought that I knew in that moment it seemed such a right thing to do. And I wait to see, is it true? Is he true? Waiting and hoping, I must see this through. So she's still wondering and marvelling when uh, she goes to the temple, isn't she, later, when Simeon and Anna meet the baby. We had that read to us by Jane. And also in the incident when Jesus uh, got left behind in Jerusalem, it says she was wondering and treasuring up in her heart what is happening and being said. But back to the appearance of Gabriel to Mary. It leaves her willing but disturbed, unnerved, anxious, troubled by Gabriel's appearance seems to be three aspects to Gabriel's greeting. First of all, he greets her. Then he calls her the favoured or beloved one. 
and then he tells her that the Lord is with her. Gabriel's greeting can be seen as good or bad. To be in receipt of God's favour can only mean that Mary's life is about to be turned upside down. She's wise to be disturbed by his greeting. Various commentators have picked up that the greeting is very like uh, the one the greeting gave to Gideon in the Old Testament in Judges 6, the Lord is with you. And like Gideon and the prophets of old, Mary is given a a gargantian task and her initial fear gives way to bewilderment and then acceptance. So, what is the task God's given you? Let's look away from Mary. It may not be the one you would have chosen. It may not be easy. But like Gideon, Mary and Joshua, the Lord says, fear not, for I am with you. One of my closest friends has a daughter who's often in a very dark place. She suffers from deep depressions and has tried to take her own life on several occasions. So serious were the attempts that the doctors couldn't understand how she lived. But one day my friend felt God say to her, I have trusted you with this. What has God trusted you with? You who are so much loved. What is your commission? What is the life he's given you? What are the trials he's given you? You may well not have chosen it. It may be the hardest thing you can have imagined, and you may bear the scars of it to your dying day. But God may be saying to you, I have trusted you with this, this situation in your life which you wouldn't have chosen. I'm going to use it to bless others. I don't know if any of you read Word for Today. Um, If not... You can download it on a, on a UCB app. I meant to bring it with me because there was a bit today just on this. Um, and I, I wanted to add it to my message, but having a mind like a sieve, I forgot. I'm sorry. But if you've got it, look at today's uh, reading because it really fits in or it was a confirmation that I was right to bring this message today. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4... It says, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So sometimes what he takes us through, we can use that to help somebody else because you really have worn the T-shirt. But at this point, Mary may not have grasped all this calling would mean for her, but she would have known that she would be personally disgraced and excluded from the community. So she deserves our admiration for saying yes anyway. So when Gabriel left her, Mary needed to talk to someone who would help and understand. A modern teenager would send a text or an email, but Mary only had one form of communication open to her, so she went in haste, to her relative Elizabeth. The angel had told her that Elizabeth too was going to have a miraculous birth. And Luke brings the two stories together. Both John and Jesus are conceived by miraculous conceptions. The one, because his mother is old and barren. The other, because his mother is young and a virgin. The one had been longed for for years. The other, not even thought of. The one conception was a blessing marking her re-entry into a society which had despised her for her childlessness. The other 
has the potential for exclusion for having a baby outside marriage or having conceived the baby outside marriage. At this point, Mary has no idea what Joseph's reaction is going to be. In a moment of mutual recognition, Elizabeth and Mary reach out to each other and find strength in the presence of each other. God had given them to each other. And I hope that whatever difficult situations you are going through, that God has appointed friends or family to walk the walk with you. If not, pray for someone. Pray he will give you someone who will understand, someone you can offload to, someone you can share with. It may surprise you who it ends up being. So in the presence of Elizabeth and their joint awareness that each has a special calling from God, Mary's muted, okay, let it be, turns to an amazing outburst of praise which can be read in the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. According to my records, I preached on that here last year. But she said, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my saviour. Note she needs a saviour too. She is not divine. She is not perfect. We should not pray to her. I know that can be difficult for some people if they come from a church background where that is the norm. But it is totally unbiblical. The only mediator between us and God is Christ Jesus. If we say prayers to Mary or worship her image, it is idolatry. So how did she get from the one place where she was disturbed but accepting to a place of rejoicing? Well, my theory is that it was time and support. And at this moment, she is with Elizabeth who is supporting her. And the surge of praise comes forth. And we can get to that place, even in our deepest trials. It doesn't mean we can be glad the trial has happened. It doesn't mean that it's not painful. It doesn't mean it's not a torment. But we can get to a point that in our spirit, we can still rejoice in the Lord. So the idea of reversal being made low and then lifted up again runs through the whole Bible. We can pray, Lord, please turn this sad situation around. Lord, please bring good out of this situation. Or Lord, please restore the years the locusts have eaten. We can say with the Old Testament, Joseph, you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. You see, it's a choice. We do have to grieve our sad times and our hurts. And I don't think we should absolutely hate this. Oh, um, what would Jesus do? And, um, you know, oh, you should just praise. You know, and it's not glib. If you get to this point, it's deep. It's deep and it can be said through your tears. So don't give people glib platitudes when they share with you. Just bounce back what they've said. Yeah, I can hear you're really hurting at the moment. I'll pray God will be with you. But not just, oh, well, what would Jesus do, you know? There we go. Been there. Um, but there comes a point in our misery where God says to us, like the prophet Elijah, what are you doing here? I have allowed you to go through this. I am with you. I have been with you. 
I will be with you. Rise up and support others. Rise up and glorify me. I can remember in my years of pain when my, my first husband had left me, it took years. So I'm just saying this isn't glib and it's not quick. But I got to a point, I thought, am I going to be this unhappy for the rest of my life? You know? And I just, I, you know, I might have had many years. I mean, we've got long life in the family. As I said, my dad's 99 Christmas Day. You know, we've, we've got long life here. Am I going to spend the rest of my life in this pit of pain? And I think I got to a point, I have to thought, my life has to go on. Like, um, it's not in the notes, Robin, sorry about this. But um, I love the meaning of the names of uh, the uh, this wives and children of Jacob. And poor Leah, who's the unloved one with the squinty eye, you know. And she's such a lovely lady. And, you know, she gives one child a name. May my husband be joined to you. This time my husband will do this. This time my husband will do that. But the time she gets to the fourth child, Judah, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. And that's what I'm talking about. Getting to the place where you're content with what you've got rather than spending all your time and energy grieving what you haven't got. Sir Cliff Richard uh, brought out an, an album last year called Rise Up and he testified in his song and interviews to do with publicising that uh, CD that his faith had helped him come through the harrowing times of the previous few years. He had got to that point. He thought, now I'm going to rise up. But you see, it's your choice and it's my choice. We can stay in a place of despair and bitterness or in God's strength we can rise up and do something positive with the rest of our lives. Mary doesn't only have Elizabeth. In time, she has Joseph, but she has to go through the pain first of thinking she might have lost him. She has the pain of telling him about her pregnancy, which may even have been visible by the time she came back from Elizabeth. She sees his incredulous face when she tells him about the angel's visit and message. Surely he must have thought, pull the other leg, it's got bells on. You know, an angel has visited you. He knew it wasn't his. What was he to think? But didn't he choose her because she was such a treasure and like-minded in her faith and dedication to God? He's seriously planning to divorce her. It's only after the angel speaks to him that he marries her, protects her, loves and nurtures her. He is also a chosen one. He's chosen to protect Mary and baby Jesus. So together they face the journey, the panic when the baby starts to come, the search for a place to stay. Did Joseph have to act as the midwife or did he find one? We don't know. But of course we do know that Jesus was safely born and visited by the shepherds. Personally, I believe the scriptures teach the wise men visit happened a lot later, may even be up to two years, because it was uh, the, the babies two years and under that Herod killed. Um, but there we are. So all the calves with the wise men and the shepherds all together in the stable, I don't think are accurate. So after the shepherds, on the eighth day, um, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be circumcised to the temple and then they hear Simeon's message, which Jane read to us earlier. And um, his message was that the one that was to come was going to cause a division in Israel between those who would accept him and those who would reject him. A pleasant, oh, blessing 
that isn't true doesn't help anyone. And Simeon's message is really quite difficult. So he knows that this long-awaited Messiah is not going to be as they expected him to be and that his particular salvation will bring with it division and discord because not everyone will accept it. So Simeon and Anna, we didn't read her story, but it's there in Luke 2, symbolise the power of practised clear-sighting waiting. They also, of course, showed the insight of the elderly which, as I'm you know, going to be 70 in a couple of years' time and I'm approaching it, you know, is, is good to know. You know. Sometimes we think the young people have everything. But we older folk have a lot to offer. And it was to elderly Simeon and elderly Anna who were the ones that recognised who this baby is. But the hardest part of Simeon's message is for Mary. It's one of the few places in the Bible where the cost of, to Mary of Jesus' birth is acknowledged. He says that a sword will pierce her heart too. Hard times ahead. Little did she know how hard. At Advent, we remember Mary's waiting for labour and the pain that would have been involved with no medical interventions. But Simon's blessing indicates that will not be the end of her pain. Mary's waiting required a deep inner strength. So like Mary, in waiting for what we dread or going through what we would never have chosen, we can discover the silent, brooding presence of God who lingers with us in our pain. And sometimes we may cry out like Jesus, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only to discover that he's been with us all those times, like in the famous footstep in the sand poem, when we ask why he left us alone at our most vulnerable, and he replies, my child, it was then that I carried you. So in order to escape Herod's anger and murder of the baby boys, however long forward that is, Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt, thus fulfilling the scripture, out of Egypt I have called my son. They were refugees fleeing from danger. What was that like? Another dangerous journey. How does Joseph find work? How did they find somewhere to live? When we welcome the immigrant and refugee, give food or shelter to the homeless, I liked very much what Richard said in his notices about firm foundations and seeing some of the homeless outside the supermarkets when we go by, you know, and I accept, I don't always think to give them something because I think, well, are they really um, homeless or are they just begging? But um, sometimes you can tell. But Jesus was a refugee. And when we give help to food or shelter to the homeless, which we can do through firm foundations, of course, and know that they are the real homeless people, we are doing it unto Jesus. So when the disciples asked Jesus, when did we help you? Jesus said, in as much as you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it for me. We don't know how long they stayed in Egypt, possibly years. They must have made a life of themselves there, but once more they were waiting, waiting for the danger to pass, waiting for a message to return. Finally, the message did come that they could return. So then the challenge to Mary would have been the journey again with possibly a, a growing family, because we know that she and Joseph went on to have other children. It's not true that she was a perpetual virgin. Their children are mentioned in scriptures. Some of them are named. Their son James became an important figure in the early church. He probably wrote the book of James because the disciple James was beheaded very early on in, in Acts. 
So after this story, the next mention of Mary in the Gospels is a bit weird. Um, oh, no, sorry, that's the bit after. The next one um, story is when Jesus was 12. You remember when he got lost or left behind in Jerusalem and they spent three days searching for him? Surely another difficult moment for Mary when her heart was pierced. I lost my James for about half an hour in a theme park on the Isle of Wight. I still remember it. He was a toddler. He slipped my grasp in a gift shop, ran out the door, and by the time I reached the door, I hadn't a clue which, which way he'd gone and didn't have a clue. It was heart-wrenching. But, you know, we notified people, and they did a tannoy and a description, and we, and we got him back. But it was awful. You know, I can remember it now. Three days they were searching for Jesus. It must have been terrible, mustn't it? And then Jesus' calm reply that they should have known he'd have been in the temple and going about his father's business. Mary's beginning to realize how little she knows and really understands about Jesus as he grows into manhood and begins to fulfill his purpose. Because, of course, at 12, that was the, about the sort of age when a Jewish boy gets his, his bar mitzvah and things, and they're beginning to be acknowledged as an adult. So this was a key age for Jesus. Well, by the time we next hear of Mary, Joseph is no longer mentioned, which has led many people to believe that Joseph had died. So Mary may well have had to have coped with the anguish of widowhood. Many commentators draw the deduction that he must have been much older than Mary because he died. Well, I think that's rubbish. Accidents and illness sadly happened. Robin's cousin's daughter lost her husband at 22 before their second wedding anniversary. Very hard. It happens. By the way, there's an organisation called Way, Widowed and Young, to support young Christian widows, if any of you need it for anyone in your family. But whatever happened to Joseph and whatever age he was, this clearly was another huge trial for Mary, bringing up quite a large family on her own for many years. So we meet her again at the wedding of Cana, urging Jesus to act and help sort the wine problem out. She knew he had powers. He tells her his time isn't yet. But in the end, he does what she asks, perhaps an indication of the rapport and affection between them. Sometime later we meet Mary in a strange little story in Mark 3. Some of you might not even recall it. But some crowds think Jesus is mad because he can cast out demons and claimed amazing things. And Mary and her other children come to fetch Jesus and restrain him. Jesus is told his mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for him. He said, who are my mother and my brothers? These are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and brother and sister. Great news for us. Not so easy for Jesus' family. Did it feel like a rejection? Another pierce of the sword? But Jesus has a family beyond human blood and ties. He's our brother as well as our Saviour and Lord. So Mary had a letting go to do. And the next time we hear of Mary... She's at the foot of the cross, supporting her son in his most painful hours. This time his hour has come. In the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples let him down. He wants them to stay awake and be with him through his hours of anguish as he faces his capture and painful death. They fall asleep. Not Mary. At the cross she's there, faithful to the end. Disciples have run away, apart from John. And uh, she's there at the cross. How awful 
to watch him go through that death. And he acknowledges her in his final hours and gives her a new son, the Apostle John. Why does Jesus do that when she's got other real sons? But they weren't there, were they? They weren't at the foot of the cross. So John is there and he gives her John to support her, to support each other in their grief. And sadly, it isn't always our blood family who give us the support we need for different reasons. But sometime between Jesus' death and Pentecost, Jesus' siblings, or at least his brothers, come to faith. If we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, there's a list of named disciples, and then it said there were the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. So they're there. They're there waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Constant prayer, once more waiting, story of Mary's life, now awaiting the anointing and filling of the Holy Spirit. So they're the stories of Mary in the Gospels, waiting. What about us? What are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Where do we want God to break through in our lives or the lives of our family? Obviously, for me, it's to turn my sons back to God. I'm waiting. Are you? As I wait for God to answer my heartfelt prayers, I know my dependence is on God alone, and he can work in me during the waiting. The journey is part of the course as God gradually moulds us more and more into his image. We shouldn't try and rush out of our desert or difficult places. We need to walk with Jesus in our waiting and learn all the lessons we need to learn through such experience. I love the Old Testament story of Joseph. He was molded in his years of betrayal, abandonment, slavery, false imprisonment, false accusations. He became someone who saved the world and God used all the gifts he acquired in those hard years to change him into the person whom God could use so mightily. Mary had to wait on a number of occasions for months and even years. She isn't a goddess. She's not an intercessor we should pray to. But she is an amazing woman and she can inspire us and teach us to be resilient in our trials faithful in our sufferings. Advent is a time that summons us to embrace waiting as a way of life, to practice it, to hone our skills, so in those times in which we have no idea how to cope or get through, we can fall back on that deep still waiting in the present, which opens up a space for God's intervention in our lives. This is what Advent is about. We are waiting, but it will surely come to pass.